So welcome to the show. I'm David Speed. I'm Adam Brazier. And this is Creative Rebels. Uh, it's a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. We started our first company, Graffiti Life, in a small garage. Yeah, it wasn't easy. But we built the company up to the stage where now we're regularly working with brands like Disney and Nike. And we've been lucky enough to make art all over the world. On this podcast, we interview successful creators. Their advice will enable you to take action and turn your passion into a career. There's literally been no better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people are going to tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to tell you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Hey Rebels, welcome to this week's show. Welcome back. Let's talk about passion. So we had a great discussion with our guest this week about exploring your interests and then from there finding your passion. How do you find your passion? I think that's what we need to talk about. Yeah. Most people that contact us are already on like a path, aren't they? Mm. They already know what they're doing. Yeah. But we do meet a lot of people as well that are kind of like, oh, I've got a few interests, but there's nothing really that grabs me. Mm. So obviously you've got your own passion. What What would you say to someone if they didn't have one? It's so interesting though, because I think my passion has has changed over the years. Mm-hmm. Painting was definitely my passion yeah. for a long time. And it started off pretty intense. I all, I'd always thought it was cool before I was painting. And then when I got into it, I just like took a dive into it, like straight away was just, it consumed me and like I was doing hooked. it all the time. Yeah, completely hooked. Yeah. But I wasn't a very good painter. What do you think that drive was that made you keep going? Because I imagine a lot of people will try stuff and just be like, I'm, I'm shit at this, I'm not gonna, not gonna carry on. Little wins, I suppose. I was never going to produce like a massive burner that was as good as someone who'd been painting for 20 years. If I could get better than I was the week before when I'd been out painting, then I'd go, oh, that, that was good. And then sometimes you'd have a week where you're like worse. Um, and it was, it was really interesting with progression. I would always, I would have like a spurt of like three months getting really, really good. And then I'd then I'd slip back and I'd be worse. And that would be really frustrating. As well as the craft of painting, I was having fun. So I was out with my mates and it wasn't always about the painting. It was like about the experience. Yeah, I think that's interesting. A lot of people, when they're looking to find their passion because they want to have a career doing what they love, there's a money pressure there. Whereas I think that's quite a bad way to think about it to start with. You need to think of like, well, what do I want to do and actually have fun doing this that's a lot more important to start with the money because if you're driven by money the fun's probably going to be lost somewhere yeah this week's blog actually touches on that it talks about how ironically you should pick something that um you would do for free for the next 10 years yeah uh, and then and then the money will come yeah um probably after about three years because that seems to be the magic number from everyone that we talk to <laughs> but yeah it's it's so hard everyone could develop a passion and I say like develop as opposed to find because you don't yeah. it doesn't just like hit you in the face one day yeah. yeah the more you do something the more you get better at it and then the more passionate you become about it because because you can see yourself progressing I guess mm. I listened to a really interesting talk recently that was about not finding your passion finding your purpose and in the talk you talked about how if you think about what you were passionate about when you were 16, that's going to be very different to what you're passionate about now. So your passions kind of change over your life. You'll be interested in one thing for a while. And then as you grow and the world changes around you, you'll, you'll have another passion doing something else. But for people who don't have that thing that they can cling on to, finding your purpose that you deep down care about, having that as your drive. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Because like I said a minute ago, I think my passion has changed. Like I still really, really love painting. Yeah. But I guess the purpose that's always been driving me forward has always been helping people. Yeah. So while I was learning to paint, I was sort of teaching in a primary school. And then obviously the business happened and everything like that. But when you look at the core of the business and the reason why we set up, it was always to kind of help other artists, help other creatives and kind of create this this platform and a place for for artists to sort of pay the rent and mm. and show their artwork to the world. And I guess that's kind of why we started. And then starting this podcast has just been doing that at scale because we know we're, we can help so many more people from doing this. Yeah. And I guess I've got a new passion in like public speaking and stuff like that. So yeah. it's really developed. Um, so that segues nicely into this week's guest, which is Sarah Malcolm. She's pretty incredible, isn't she? Um, she's done a lot of things. Yeah, and I think she's still she's still kind of finding her way, which is which is really interesting. Um, 
And despite being told that no one cares about your breakfast uh, pictures on Instagram, it turns out that a lot of people do care about her breakfast. <laughs> and uh, she's built up quite a following on the Instagram. And uh, yeah, she's a yoga teacher, a recipe developer, a content creator, a blogger. So she's doing loads and loads of different stuff to support herself, which is what this show is all about. So yeah. Yeah, she's a really good guest. And she's a perfect example of someone who's tried lots and lots of different things to find out what her passion is. Yeah, and the fact that she was so super smart by getting a job at Deliciously Ella and kind of learning everything she could, soaking it all up yeah. before she went and did her own thing. I think that was super smart. So yeah, another amazing episode. Um, thank you to everyone who's leaving us reviews on iTunes. Please do if you haven't and enjoyed this episode. In this episode, we talk about finding your passion, seizing opportunities, and the power of collaboration. It's really important to put yourself out there and connect with other people that are doing the same thing, who can lift you at the same time you're lifting them. So we are super excited today to be joined by Sarah Malcolm. Sarah, Hello. hi. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Um, tell us a little bit about your story. My story. I always feel like I go on a lot about my story in various ways of life, but essentially I am a yoga teacher and I uh, dabble in food. I'm a food stylist, a recipe developer. I take photos of food as well, but I wouldn't call myself a food photographer. That's sort of me, um, content creator, the works, yeah. So I think a lot of people have that kind of um, block when it comes to, oh, like I, I talk about my story too much. Don't worry. That's what people want to hear. Yeah. But also when not necessarily a story, but when someone asks me what me, what I do, I always get stuck there. First question. Mm, and I yeah. think. <laughs> I try and ask people. So now I've. I've um, you didn't, yeah, you didn't ask me what I did. So you... Yeah. So I've tried <laughs> to kind of switch that up. Like, what do you do? Um, kind of puts us in a box. If I ask you what you do, then I get like three seconds of what you think is most relevant yeah. to the situation. And whereas... isn't it weird how I answered how I thought you'd ask me, even yeah. though you didn't? Scrap all of that. Scrap it. Don't like, we want to know your story. Like a lot of what I've been doing recently is um, saying to people, what's your passion? Really randomly, I was um, talking to someone who was serving me at the Nike store a couple of weeks ago. Got on really well. You know, when you just meet someone and straight away, you're just clicking yeah. and just really fun conversation. Mm -hmm. So I asked her, what's, what's your passion? She was obviously like not that passionate about what she was doing like working on the tills but I was like what's your passion and you just see people change she kind of just lit up and just started talking about all of this shit oh, that was wow. really important to her yeah I think it's like so I'm gonna ask you what's your passion my passion is food eating food making food and relationships with people um finding a common ground and getting excited about that and that's usually in a yoga class Usually in a yoga class. Okay, so how does food and yoga, how do they intersect for you if um, they do? I don't know if they necessarily do. I mean, the food that I create then nourishes me to practice yoga, but um, they don't really go hand in hand naturally, but I've made it so they do in my business world because I teach yoga about four times a week, which for a lot of yoga teachers is nothing. Um, but I don't think I could ever be a full-time yoga teacher. I just think you give so much of your energy and you're running around London. These yoga teachers that teach so many classes, I think, wow, you're incredible. I could never do what you do because they're constantly going from studio to studio, giving their energy. You give so much energy when you teach yoga and you do, you get it back from your students but it's still this whole delivery so I am only teaching about four classes and then the other days or in between my classes I make food create food shoot food that's amazing yeah. so I think a lot of people would they do the four days yoga and that's if that was all they could handle and then they'd get like a part-time job or something yeah. like that but you decided and um, you've said to me before like you you ne always knew that you were never ever going to be a nine to five yeah, kind of girl. Never so a nine to five girl. Where where did yeah. where did that come from? What was it about that that? I think it was actually when I was about sixteen, and I um, had a boyfriend at the time whose friends were older, and they were all um, they didn't go to sixth form or anything, so they went straight into work and had like pretty great jobs for, at the time. But I was sort of 
not I was in a place where I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life I was in sixth form and I didn't even know what I wanted to study I was kind of in awe of them but then also they were always like yeah live for the weekend Friday Saturday like go out Friday go out Saturday and I found myself getting into this sort of same way of thinking as them and I thought this is horrible I'm just wishing my days away so we can go out on a Friday night or I don't know make the weekend as enjoyable as possible and then Monday it comes around again and you're like oh this is this is horrible from that early age even though I had no idea how my life would pan out I knew that I wouldn't I didn't want to do that that's amazing that's really inspiring how did you discover yoga because obviously that's become one of your kind of main income sources well I I was an actress from a young age um so sort of continued that throughout my teens but not very much again got into a relationship quite early on and that sort of took my life in a different way um but I went to university and studied drama and it was through joining a gym at uni I think it was I can't remember what the gym was. It was just like a random, random uni gym. <laughs> and there was a yoga studio. And as a sort of joke, a few of, few of my friends, we said together, let's let's go to yoga. Let's like see what it's about. It's going to be funny. Let's just try it. And what, what year was that in? That was my second year of uni, 2010, 11. Okay. So at that point, yoga's just kind of starting to come into the public kind yeah, of Yeah. I mean, realm. I think... Well, for me, it was only a thing that older generations did. For sure. It wasn't really... None of my friends did it. It wasn't a thing that I saw people doing. Obviously, Instagram was sort of just starting then, but I just thought it was where people posted nice pictures, which is still true. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and so I went to this yoga class. And I actually... I was talking about this the other day because I actually remember it so clearly, this yoga class. I could probably do the sequence now, but I remember being in a wide-legged forward fold and my legs shaking like mad, my whole body shaking. I had really tight hamstrings, um, not not flexible, just not a typical yogi or anyone that you'd think, oh, they'll be good at yoga, whatever good means. Um, and I came out of it and I fell asleep for about three hours when I got home. <laughs> and I thought, cool, that was, that was interesting. That did something to my body. And it was actually the teacher at that gym who really inspired me to keep going back. She was really cool. Um, she was an old lady, but she was talking a lot about philosophy and all the, the beautiful things behind yoga, not just the, the fitness side to it, which I think is why I probably got into it the way I did. Because a lot of people get into yoga through the fitness element. But actually, this was more of a spiritual way in, which was really beautiful for me at the time. And then I continued that continue going to her class all the way through uni through my dissertation and everything and she actually came to me at the end she said I think you should do faster pace like stronger yoga I thought god this is really strong for me (laughs) (laughs) I don't need to do anything else and then I don't know what the class she taught was but then I found vinyasa which is the the stronger faster one not necessarily that fast but sort of fell in love with that when I graduated, I moved back to London, where my parents are from, and I thought, oh, I have no idea where to start with yoga here. No idea. So I started doing YouTube videos in my bedroom and loved them, did yoga with Adrian, as a lot of the world has done. But I felt like that was a really personal thing for me. And obviously, it's so doing yoga in your bedroom is so different to going to a class and doing it. But it's still that personal personal thing personal space energy that you take anywhere with you and I think I really really found a love for it and anytime I was getting a bit stressed out with life um, I was still trying to act at the time and also working as a waitress so I had a lot of late nights and my life was a bit all over the place but I kind of enjoyed it but it was always the yoga that brought me back into routine and myself staying in staying in check and it wasn't actually until last summer so 2017 July let's <laughs> paint a picture I saw the yoga teacher training course at frame come up I think I think I saw it on Instagram and I just for some reason I just thought I'm gonna do it I'm gonna apply I'm gonna just do it I mean I wasn't even practicing at a studio um I didn't even know if I was really 
had had a strong practice or anything but so you were still doing bedroom yoga at still this doing point. bedroom yeah. yoga yeah but I just thought I'm gonna do it I'm just gonna go so I applied and the course started in September so this is this is very new my teaching is very new I started the course last September and I graduated in December so it's almost been a year since I graduated and the past year has been phenomenal like absolutely incredible I didn't know how much I'd love teaching I thought I love the practice I love what it brings for people but I didn't know how much I'd enjoy watching people ease in and turn in towards themselves it's the most beautiful thing in the world honestly how much of your initial teacher do you bring to your practice not much at all. No, no. so because because uh, I was interested to know like what was the the you mentioned the more sort of spiritual yeah, stuff that she 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 spoke a lot about the chakras and colors and stuff and I think I took from I remember actually going home one weekend and saying to my mum you know you you can see colors she was like what are you talking about I said my yoga teacher said you can see colors if you're really open you can just see these orbs of light and since then I haven't actually heard that again I don't know too much about that <laughs> but. I was amazed and I thought, I want to see colours. <laughs> Just a young Sarah, like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to see colours. I mean, I have a lot of the emotional sense in my yoga classes and not really a let's do this pose, nail it. You must get to that stage. It's more how you feel in your body, how your body is feeling every day because every day is different. Even me this week, I went to yoga class last night and I could barely stand up on one leg, just doing anything. I was just wobbling all over the place. And it's just incredible how your body changes every single day. And every single day your practice is different, no matter how well you did something yesterday. I think that's the most enjoyable thing about it, that you can just feel in your body what's going on and breathe with that and own it. So I started my own yoga practice this year. Yay, yay. Um, and it took me that long, like, of so many millions of successful people. Like, I always try and, like, be really open-minded and look at what other successful people are doing and try and adopt their habits. Right, and yeah. And yoga's one that keeps popping up over and over again. Um, and I think joe rogan going on about doing hot yoga and stuff like that would really made me think oh more than for me it being i like competitive stuff so for me it's like competing against myself and as yeah. soon as i like framed it like that then i was so much more into the idea yeah so um so i'm on like day 22 of um y- of yoga with adrian yeah. <laughs> on, the, on the youtube and like I've got super, so I'm just using this now for you to help me now. Um, <laughs> so I've got like super tight hamstrings, can't really touch the ground when I bend forward. That obviously has disappeared for you. Like how does, what what happens there is just time and practice. Time, practice, breath. Yeah. It's interesting that people want to have really, I mean, obviously you want to be lengthier, be more relaxed in your muscles but I was thinking the other day how boring it would be if everyone was really flexible and did yoga because you don't feel it you you're doing a forward fold and you're feeling it in your hamstrings and that's the invitation to breathe a little more to find those moments where your muscles can start to go oh oh we're, we're okay here we're relaxing we're fine it's just because you haven't been in that place and your muscles are going oh we haven't been here before what are you doing to us what are you doing but as soon as you say to the mind the body everything the nervous system we're fine we're going to breathe a little deeper we're going to relax then there's that invitation and that's the beautiful thing not the getting into the poses and and looking good or be like yeah my head's all the way down here yeah i can touch my feet where's the where's the joy in that you're I mean, just I doing it i would like it. to be able to touch my feet but my why head. why yeah that's it isn't it i suppose it's just my ego of of wanting to wanting to be the most flexible is yeah. competitive again yeah like for me because i've never done yoga but i kind of see it like skateboarding work where it's that it's that individual thing you've got a trick in the skateboarding sense that you want to achieve and you practice and practice and practice to get it but then when you actually hit it it's kind of that sense of achievement is just that's it's that little rush that i can kind of see where mm. that would kind of get to yeah so if you can't do something and then you achieve it you get that like yeah, I did that. Yeah, first. yeah, absolutely. And actually, I'm going against what I said now. I learned a new yoga party trick last week. And that was really exciting for me because I'd never actually 
been to a class where it was taught and I thought oh this is cool and then last night there was an option to put it in your own flow and I thought I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it and suddenly it just happened and I was like oh that felt really good that's new so there is that like Mm. yeah new thing and I guess that's human nature to get excited um, I, I don't know what it's actually called. Isn't it ekapada something? It was an arm balance. It looks a lot like a breakdancing move. Cool. Like you're on your hands and your knees up by your elbow and then you're balancing. Your legs hover. Amazing. I, I'm bad. I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, one thing you said earlier that's really, really important that not enough people understand is just going for something, just mm. seeing what will happen. Mm. I think the best changes that that happen in people's lives are when they just actually like if you don't change things then nothing changes yeah so what was it about the the frame the frame instagram post that made you actually like commit well i think it was the teachers michael and emily i'd known them i'd never actually been to their classes that's weird but i'd sort of known them personally well through work life so i knew that i'd be okay with them i trust them because there's so many teacher trainings in London, so many. Mm. And it was going through my mind a lot that I kind of wanted to do it, but didn't know where. So I didn't really look into it that much. And then this one came up and it was just, just felt right to do that one. And it was the best thing I could ever do for my first training. A lot of people go away and they do immersive in India or beautiful places around the world. And I think that's so lovely. And I'd love to do that. I'd love to do my next training somewhere, somewhere away. But for me, doing it in London, being able to work in the week, because it was just a weekend course. So being able to work in the week, do this on the weekends. It was a lot of work because you're doing sort of double, double stuff. Mm. Um, but it was the most nurturing teacher training ever in the sense that there was so much support. But then they also did push you out of your comfort zone and, you know, break you down. All those, all those lovely things that you need to do to, to really understand what's going on in yourself, just to open up and, and tune in. But it was the best thing I could have ever done. And I still didn't know when I was doing it if I wanted to teach. I sort of went through it and was enjoying learning everything and being with this amazing group of people who I still hold very highly in my heart. It wasn't until I think our last week or so where we were really practicing our teaching and we had our practical assessment. And I just thought, yeah, this is it. That's what I want to do. What was your first class like coming out, like the first teaching session? Probably awful. Um, I, it took me a while to teach, actually. It took me about a month to really to land a class at Mortimer House. And um, and what was that process? Just literally just cold emailing people yeah. saying, I'm a yoga teacher. Um, well, I didn't email that many studios. So as a member at Mortimer House... And I knew that they needed a yoga teacher and they'd already asked me to teach an event. They were very trusting in me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I said, oh, seeing as I'm teaching this event, do you want me to be a yoga teacher? So I then did my trial and went really well. So I started teaching them for them. And yeah, my first classes, cause we, we were taught a sequence in our teacher training and I, it took me a long time to actually veer away from that sequence because I thought this is what I know this is all I can do um so I I teach that quite a lot and it was lovely the the students I had at the beginning are still coming to my classes now and recently they said to me how how different my classes are which is obviously a great thing um and I'd love I always think I'd love to attend a class or love to be in one of my classes at the beginning mm. and just see just notice what's what's changed um but I did a class when I graduated for my friends for my best friends who went up to Norfolk for the weekend and I taught them a class and all of them cried at the end <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was just being away from London probably the hot the whole um take yourself away make space for for more and just feel a bit more but it was lovely yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so you're doing a lot of blogging as well. Yeah. How did that come about? Yeah. So the food side to me actually came about through my diagnosis of PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, which I was diagnosed with February 2014. So I still now I really love to talk about periods and hormones and everything that females go through and 
how that affects our body throughout the month. So I was diagnosed with that and I wasn't a particularly healthy person growing up. I mean, I was. My mum my mom was a nurse, so she always had this... She would always ask me what the food I was eating, how it was benefiting my body. <laughs> so if there'd be like mushrooms on a plate, she'd say, and why... Why are mushrooms good for you? I'd be like, oh, antioxidants. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> so that sort of stuff was instilled in my brain. But then I went to uni and did the classic thing of eating cereal for most meals and, and mm-hmm. ready meals and all that stuff. Um, but when I was diagnosed with PCOS, a lot of it, and I, I'm not, I don't have any qualifications in this at all, but I did a lot of my own research. I was told by the doctor that I wouldn't be able to have children and I just went home feeling like, gosh, that's it, that's my life. And it was just a really kind of harsh, quick, yeah. quick session with oh, the doctor, they just said. a quick session. Yeah, I'd actually come straight from a funeral, which is really sad. Oh, but then oh. I went to the doctors and she was so, so abrupt, so like, please get out the door. Here's a, here's a leaflet, You're, you've got PCOS. You probably won't have be able to have children, but read that and yeah, see you later. And I went home, just cried and cried and cried. And then I thought, you know what, this doesn't define me. And what and what is what is PCOS? So it's um, polycystic ovary syndrome. It affects the ovaries. You don't have to have cysts on the ovaries, um, but so many young women are diagnosed with it. So many. You can have I think it's like six or more symptoms to have it, and it's like really mundane things like weight gain, excessive hair growth, amenorrhea, which is no periods. But it's so overwhelmingly common, and a lot of the time brought on from the the pill right okay and I didn't have periods for about three years and my mum said I really think you should just get your hormones checked out because even though you've been on the pill which is which does say it stops your periods I'd just like to get to get you seen to so then I came off it was off it for a year so I had no hormones extra hormones pumping in my body and then I got a check an ultrasound and that's when they found it so yeah I went home and I'm not a typical to look at me, you wouldn't typically think I've got PCOS. I've always found it really hard to lose weight. But, I mean, I, I'm not overweight. And, yeah, typically I'm not the girl you'd look at and be like, yeah, she's got it. So, I mean, it's, it's been a lot easier for me. And some women that, I've, that I know and I've spoken to about it have had such an awful time. Just cysts bursting, bursting and going to hospital all the time. And it's just really not nice so I've had a a pleasant experience with it um if you can call it that but from my diagnosis this is really when things shifted for me um I learned that it was a big balance in your insulin levels and when your insulin levels peak your I think I mean there's probably those people that know a lot more about this than me but you're you get an influx of testosterone so you have all these flushing of hormones coming in and basically to manage your symptoms is about managing your insulin levels. So the more sugar you eat, if you eat um, high GI, high glycemic index, your insulin levels will peak, all these changes in your hormones will happen and then you'll drop back down and it's this constant influx of going up, down, up, down, up, down. So it's really about balancing that, keeping your insulin levels balanced the whole time. And I saw a nutritionist on Harley Street who I'd done a lot of my research so I went with a lot of questions and sort of knew the lifestyle that I was going to have before I even saw him and he sort of said to me yeah you can do all these things but don't worry about it too much and thinking at the time I thought oh my gosh how can I not worry about this too much but actually it was probably right because I definitely overthought everything that I was putting in my mouth after that moment and probably put more stress on my body because I was like, is this right for me? (laughs) Um, But that really changed my relationship with food and what I was putting in my body, how I was fueling it. So I, from that moment, cut out refined sugar. I now eat it (laughs) probably more than I should. But from that moment, I thought, you know what, this is it. This is how I am going to change things for myself. So I started playing around with food, creating recipes, um, was inspired a lot by Deliciella and the women making these movements at the time were very inspiring. So, yeah, so playing around with that. I think for the, the doctors to say, like, 
oh, don't worry too much about it. Like a lot of people would then take that as a as a kind of white flag and just yeah. be, oh, okay, I won't worry yeah. too much about it. I think that's kind of irresponsible because I think yeah. you should worry about it and you should you should know like the fact that I mean pretty much although obviously for for your condition like. Um, is that right to call it a condition yeah. that feels really like <laughs> your condition um, but for, for someone who's got an illness like obviously keeping your insulin levels straight but ju- just for humans generally like yeah, it would be good yeah. if we could keep our insulin levels on a on a level but like we don't learn that stuff in school no we should know what a glycemic index is but most people don't mm. like I think that's that's crazy so is that part of your mission to to kind of educate people a little bit more about food yeah, I think so. I mean, as I say, I'm not qualified. I don't have any nutritional degrees or anything. Um, and it's it's purely what's worked for me. And I get a lot of messages from young women who say, what did you do? How did you do it? What shall I do? And I think I can only say what's what I've what has happened for me. Um, and I think everyone's got to take it in their in their own hands, in their own control, do the research for themselves, because I think it's we're in this day and age where we hear things and we take them as gospel and we're just like, oh, that she did that, so I should do that. Mm. And it's the same with all we see on social media, like even down to workouts, oh, that's worked for her, it will work for me. Um, so I think it's really important for, for young women to, to know what's right for their body because everyone's different. We haven't, we're not the same genetic makeup, so it's really important that people take that for themselves. And that's, that's the joy of of finding it out and, and doing the work for you. You're not doing it for anyone else. You're living in your own body, so enjoy that journey with it. And yeah, that, it's taught me a lot and I wouldn't be where I am today if I wasn't diagnosed with it, so yeah. Yeah, so it was a massive catalyst. Yeah. So for, for someone who's always been in love with food, how was that transition knowing that you're gonna have to cut out refined sugar, although it's dog shit for you, mm. is really yummy Um, how how was that kind of transition knowing that you were going to cut that all out it was actually incredibly easy at the time because I knew it was for bigger reasons than just cutting out sugar because you should because someone's told you it's good for you so I found it really easy at first really easy and my taste buds changed very quickly I actually remember eating like pure pure cacao or something like that and I was sitting with my brother and he said oh god that's disgusting that is so bitter and I was like what to me that is so sweet and he was like you joking that's that's awful so I think my my body adapted quite quickly to it all and I really in the Mars bar like half an hour earlier so (laughs) yeah yeah. um and I actually found myself not wanting sugar but I think I think it was very easy because I was like that's it I'm not even going to go back there. Now it's crept back in. So now it's a bit harder. And that's, yeah, that's just how it is. And you've got to, you've got to manage, manage it. And well, it's so hard to cut out completely, isn't it? Yeah, because it's in yeah. pretty much everything. Yeah. How do you, how do you monetize that? Like how have you managed to turn kind of food into something that's, that's helping you to survive yeah. other than eating it, but by bringing you in money? <laughs> so I, when I started messing around with all these recipes and stuff, I, was posting my photos on Instagram and boring the world with my breakfast photos as I still do. <laughs> and this was like, this really became a, a habit, a lovely habit for me to wake up because I was working as a waitress in the evenings. I'd wake up and be really excited to make breakfast. So excited and every day would be something new. Nowadays it's more normally just the same bowl of porridge, but it was like, whoa, what should I make tomorrow? And I'd actually planned it in my head the night before. I wake up and I make this bowl or or something and take photos of it. And it became this really lovely thing every morning that I do. And I got really into it, making it look really pretty. And I thought, wow, I really love doing this. I, I really mean, you're really self-deprecating this. about it, but people were responding to it. People were... At the time, no. Right, okay, that's yeah, interesting. It was normally people that I knew from school or uni, like, oh, yeah, no one cares about your breakfast actually I remember one guy you know the the things that stay with you and people say negative things this one guy wrote a comment like no one cares and then he deleted it and I I took it to heart and I was like oh my gosh no one cares but then I thought so what I care Mm. it's for me I'm not really doing it for anyone else amazing and I previously in this in this time I had been away to America 
at summer camp and I was teaching horse riding really random I don't even really ride (laughs) Um, but the camp asked me to go back and I said oh I don't really know like it's not really stepping forward but then I thought hang on I could teach cooking and I could teach it without sugar which for an American camp American Mm. summer camp is a huge deal but I thought you know what I can do this I can make this exciting for the kids so I went back and taught the whole summer without refined sugar and at first kids were going crazy they're like (laughs) what are you doing because all they did on their cooking program was make cakes and cookies and I thought this is a real opportunity to really teach these girls how to cook using real ingredients and nourishing ingredients just makes me think of that kid on super nanny yeah bacon is good from uh... (laughs) there And so what, just like that. Yeah. So whilst yeah. you were doing that, were you um, were you still you were still posting on Instagram? Yeah, I was still posting on Instagram and sharing my recipes more because I was actually creating them for the kids. Got the kids really excited, and I came back from that summer thinking, "This is what I want to do." And I saw a job at Delicia on Instagram, and I thought, "That's it. That's me. I'm done. That's where I'm going to be." Applied for it, interviewed, didn't get it was absolutely gutted went home crying and I thought that what am I going to do with my life now that was the only thing for me um but carried on sort of persevering with my acting and and waitressing and then got a call saying that didn't work out with the girl we hired can you come back wow so then I started working for Delicia and that's where I started to see food as business this was at a time when her company which is now amazingly successful was very small. They were just opening the first deli and it was a a time of a lot going on for them. Um, The business of moving more from just a blog into a real business, uh, which was amazing to to see. And that's when I really started to watch a lot what was going on and to notice how things were done. And the job wasn't right for me. I was doing a lot of admin stuff and numbers, which I'm all for that. But I would watch the, the amazing girl doing the food, Jess, in awe and be like, oh, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. And I created maybe two recipes when I was there. That was, I was like, yeah, done it. Fine. L- left after three months. It was very short, but I thought this isn't right for me. But I've learned a lot from just watching and, and being part of this business in food sort of environment. I think that's so important and I think it's something that a lot of like young entrepreneurs don't realise. They feel this immense pressure of I have to create my own thing. Yeah. And just by working somewhere for three months you can gain enough insight. Absolutely. That, I mean, if you'd have just come straight out of the gate and tried to do your own thing, it would have it would have taken you a lot longer yeah. than three months to kind yeah. of learn what you did in that in that short kind of crash course. Yeah, massively. I think it was all I mean, I believe in everything happens for a reason, but I really do. And I'm so glad I saw what I didn't want to do as well in mm-hmm. that job because it was so easy at the time when I was like, oh, do I want to be an actress? Don't know. Do I want to do food? Yes. But it's much easier to work in a sort of admin job. And so at that time, I was like, I definitely don't want to be on my computer all the time. Don't want to have that life. I want to do that. So I left there and met this amazing woman called Shelley who set up this food festival called Good Roots Festival. How did you meet her? I met her through Ella. So she used to host the supper clubs for Ella, Madeline Shaw, all the all the amazing foodie women. And yeah, she basically just said to me, I need someone to cook food at my house, take photos of it, and so I can post it on the Instagram for Good Roots, which is essentially just creating content. And I, I was like, I can do that. <laughs> do it for myself. I can definitely do that. So I used to go to her house twice a week and just cook in her kitchen, take photos on her balcony, take like little bits of material with me and little bits and bobs, little props. And I had no idea that that was actually a job and that people down the line, I mean, it was a, a very light lightly food styling job but essentially that's what it was and I didn't really know that at the time but I thought this is great I'm loving this and from there I thought hey maybe I can really do this maybe I can really get this going so I met a lot more people down down the line through events and just networking and 
started getting more jobs as a food stylist. So what does that, when you say networking, what does that look like? Um, so at, then I was sort of building my, my Instagram a little bit and would be invited to events with other foodie people. And you just say yes to everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a real yes year, actually. A real yes year. The next year was a no year. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the point where you started to notice that your Instagram was changing from just people that you went to uni with to like people were starting to follow you and be more interested? That's a good question. I don't know if I really acknowledge that. I think I was getting more messages about PCOS, mostly. But I don't actually know. That's a good question. I couldn't say it was a definitive time at all. So when you started focusing on building your audience, yeah. how did you do that? Making friends with more people in the industry. And I can actually call them my friends now, which is lovely. But I thought, no one's just going to know what I'm doing if I can't share it with others. And I think it's really important to put yourself out there and connect with other people that, that are doing the same thing who can lift you at the same time you're lifting them. And it's been lovely. The, the girls that I remember I used to follow from the get-go who were sort of on the same playing field as I was, who have now really boosted. I think that's lovely. That's so nice to, to have watched that growth. So, yeah, definitely creating friendships in the industry, real friendships, because I'm, I'm a big believer in real human connection. And if I don't, if I know that I'm not going to like someone, I know that straight away. And I don't, and there's no point for me. But if I really get on with someone, I think, yeah, this is great. This is lovely. Let's actually be friends. And that's something I've done more of lately. If I know, even the people I follow on Instagram, if I think we, we should really be friends, I'll message them and tell them that. I have no shame in that mm. at all. And now some of my best friends are, th are through Instagram, which is really I nice. I think that's great. I, why do we have this fear of, of just reaching out to people? Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I suppose it's um, fear of rejection. Of, of Yeah, it probably goes back to being a kid and being like, oh, where's that popular person? If I go and speak to them, they just can yeah. absolutely shun me. Yeah. But yeah, it is something that like I found a lot over the last year, especially like just reaching out to people and saying like, hey, the amount of people get back in a positive way. It's amazing. Yeah, like it really people is. generally are after friendships all the time, and it's not. If someone says no, they're probably a bit of a dick, and you probably won't <laughs> want to know them anyway. Yeah, the art of asking. So, yeah. um, so you started going to every event possible and just yeah. just speaking to people, just going up to them and yeah, telling them. speaking to people. A lot of the the people had startup food companies that needed help with styling or shooting, so I was getting more jobs like that. And then, I'm trying to think of my timeline here. And then met, actually at this Good Roots Food Festival, met my wonderful now friend, Melissa Hemsley, who I work very closely with, helping her create food and just supporting her in all that she does, all the amazing things she does. She's a, a food writer. And started working for her last, end of last summer. And that job was really the job that I had always wanted for Deliciella and it was just the cooking the shooting that real getting into it job which was really gorgeous and yeah so since that time I was actually working for some theatre producers before then as well and it was a sudden switch in my mind where I thought I'm either going to do the food and wellness type journey or I'm going to do the theatrical stuff and I just thought no <laughs> I'm gonna do the food that's what really has started to excite me so that is a, really I feel very young very new to the industry even though it's been part of my life for a long time it was only really just over a year ago that I thought this is going to be my business essentially and it's been a, a year of grafting. I think it's amazing that that you've crafted as much success as you have in such a short period of time. Thanks. <laughs> and obviously the power of that is mostly through social media. Yeah, absolutely. You've done that. Yeah. Um, I know you gave a talk recently where you were talking about where you see social media moving mm. um, next year. What? Where do you see it going? Yeah, I don't, I don't, it's a hard question to answer. And I said this in the talk and I fall in and out of love with social media. And I think... 
at the moment I'm in a time in the last few weeks where I don't want to share things too personal to me even though that's what I really enjoy doing on social media I enjoy opening up to people I kind of see it as a diary entry and I think that reflects a lot of the people that people want to follow is their honesty their transparency it's not fake it's not fake how it was a few years ago people like to see people opening up and and feel like they have a connection with them so I really feel like that transparency is is the way it's moving and getting rid of the you know these detox teas and all these awful things (laughs) that people throw around just willy-nilly a lot of advertising I mean, it's great. It's, it's, it's essentially moved into an advertising platform a lot, hasn't it? Which is fine, I think. Like, I think it's, it's the way we're evolving and the way we want to see ads and, and fast, fast things in our, in our brain. But I also think that people search out for the stuff that's a bit more delicate and, and quieter maybe, but more intricate and, and interesting. So what is it that's stopping you from opening up at the moment um there's a lot of stuff going on for me my family personally that I just don't feel I want to share I feel like it would be doing an injustice to what's what's really going on I mean I probably will share it down the line but but at the moment it does it doesn't feel like it's mine to 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 talk about which is fine I think that's that's I mean my followers have all been very supportive when I have said I'm really sorry I've been really rubbish lately and and I've had lots of lovely messages, which is which is really nice. I think, yeah, it's not it's just not the right thing for me to share, which is fine. When I've got when I'm talking about periods and hormones and all these things, then yes, I'll talk about that <laughs> nonstop. But yeah, it just doesn't feel right for me, and that and I don't want to force it. It's it's social media. There's thousands of people reading stuff, so yeah. Yeah, I think um, your followers are they're kind of like quite loyal to you aren't they 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 really care about you yeah I think they do actually and it's really beautiful to see and I remember actually being in in summer camp and I wouldn't get many likes on my photos and one of the the girls who was American said like your followers just aren't loyal sorry that's terrible (laughs) and I was like really she went yeah you've got so many followers but no one's liking your stuff and I was like, that's interesting. It's quite true. I mean, there are probably loads of bots back then as well. Um, and now I think people do engage when I'm more honest. And instead of just posting a random photo for a random reason, if I'm posting because I want to say something, then I'll get a lot back. And that's the point of it. It's to start a conversation. It's not just for people to scroll through and think, oh, that's pretty. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. So you're using you're using it um, in a different way to most people because I think most people it is just these are the highlights. Yeah. Yeah. But then I guess it's I guess it's who you follow because a lot of the people I follow, I mean I used to follow all those like Australian swimwear models <laughs> <laughs> and stopped following all of them. And now my feed is full of lovely things and people doing great things and being really really honest but sometimes I see I look over at my friends like scrolling through Instagram and I think god you're still following all those people that doing you no good (laughs) (laughs) I think you know there's the the um saying that's being quite popular at the moment you are the sum of the five people that you spend the most Mm. time with Mm. um I think you're the sum of the content that you consume at the same time yeah massively the more humans like what you focus on you will get people often say and I, I think that's so true and your social media is is such a window into that. If yeah. you're just following unrealistic standards or whatever it is that you're following, or oh, just the news, or mm. like like how can you have a positive outcome if you spend the first half an hour of your day looking at something really negative yeah. and, and bad? Yeah, it's so true. And you often don't think that the people that are following you aren't following all the people that you're following. So perhaps the only honest insightful things they see are through you Mm. and sometimes you forget that because in my head I think well everyone's doing this sort of really great stuff but actually half the people aren't following them so yeah it's interesting yeah so you've got like a responsibility to your followers to like lift Mm. them up with you rather than like kind of yeah push them down I'm I'm up here yeah which is what a lot of people seem to do yeah interesting so uh what's next for you do you know what? I have no idea. And I really love that. 
I really love that. I have never been a, a person that has planned a future. Mm. I want to keep doing what I'm doing. I enjoy every day. I really do. And I love the possibility of of anything happening and not knowing. And I think that's very comparable to the, the way our society moves and the way people's lives move. I, I don't think... In my head, I'm like, there's no point in planning stuff because new things come up. I get emails every week and suddenly my life's pulled in a different direction. And I'm like, wow, that's so exciting. Let's focus on that for a bit. Let's see how, where my energy takes me there. Mm. And I think this this wave, this push and pull of everything going, in, going on in life is where I want to keep it. Like you're so positive and, and got such this amazing outlook. Do you ever have that like kind of little voice in the back of your head that's like the negative kind of self-talk? Massively every day. You do? Yeah. Because that doesn't, that doesn't come across at all. Really? So yeah, so talk a little bit about that. How do you deal with that? I mean, it, I guess it's freelancing and getting enough money every month. That's a big worry for me. And I can be doing more. That's a big thing. I'm always like, I need to be doing more. Because there are so many people that you see, again, through Instagram, mm. that are doing so much. And I think, God, we have the same hours every day. I really should be doing more. But the past few months, I've been, I've been slowing down and just going with what happens, um, which I'm trying to be kinder to myself about and not, and not put that pressure on me. But it is really hard, and that's something I struggle with a lot. And I am a big to-do list girl, and if I haven't nailed some things, I'm, a, I'm very productive in the morning. So if I haven't nailed things by midday, I think, oh, God, wasted my day. Wasted my day. <laughs> Especially at the moment when we lose the light and I'm trying to shoot food at home and the light's gone by one, two o'clock. So I think, yeah, it's I, I'd have a lot of battles in my head, a lot. I think that's human nature. I think if we didn't have that, we'd be off in some fairyland. But I think it's noticing those negativities that come in, creep in, and treating them with kindness and sort of shaking their hand and being like, it's okay. We've we've got this. We're taking it each day. So, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Where can people find you online? Um, they can find me on Instagram, at Sarah Malks. My website, sarahmalcolm.co.uk. And Twitter, at the same handle, at Sarah Malks. Amazing. I think that's it. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> thanks so much for having me, guys. Thanks for listening. We're trying to help a lot of people with this show, so we need your help to grow the community and spread our message. If you know someone who'd benefit from hearing what we talked about today, or they just need a little nudge in the right direction, pass this podcast on to them. If you want to hear more, then subscribe to us on iTunes. And if we helped you with anything, we'll really love you forever if you can leave us an iTunes review. It makes a huge difference. See ya.